Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, on today's show, I'm going to continue talking about the fallout of UFC 276, and I'll tell you how Sean O'Malley is changing the narrative. I'm also going to tell you why I think we should give Sean Strickland a pass. And of course, I'm going to talk about tomorrow night's main event between Fedzayev and RDA. But before we get to all that, let's revisit Adesanya versus Cannoneer. Chris Pratt apologized to Israel Adesanya. Now, that was the right thing to do. That was a cool move by Chris Pratt. And of course, we all accept that apology, right? Let me back up. Just timeline in case you're not positive what I'm talking about. Chris Pratt, front row, over the weekend. Adesanya comes out, fight gets done. Instead of Chris Pratt getting up and leaving the arena, somebody slipped down to him and said, hey, can we have a favor? Could you come up on SportsCenter and could you just give us your thoughts on the fight? Pratt generously says yes. And when he's asked about that fight, he said, I did not like the pitter-patter by Adesanya. Adesanya came out and told us he was going to get a dynamic finish. When you talk that way, I really I need to see a guy back it up. Now, that's a simple comment, right? That's not really putting anybody down. It's not to the positive. It was a criticism. We understand that, but not too much. All right, Adesanya responds in some fashion. Mainly, I think, just to let Chris Pratt know, hey, I heard you. Pratt came out and said, you know what? Let's just stop right here. I'm an actor. And I've had a lot of people sitting on the outside that didn't have the courage to come in and try to do what I was doing, telling me I didn't do a great job. That was rude of me and hypocritical, and I apologize. Great, we're out. Now, I only want to give you this backstory because it lends me to a larger point. First off, let me tell you something about Chris Pratt. I'm in the state of Oregon. Chris Pratt uh, grew up in the state of Washington, border state. Randy Couture is a coach at Oregon State University, assistant, do a summer camp. Last day of camp comes around, all the kids are sitting down right before the counselors tell them, go get, in, go get in mom's car and go home. Randy has one kid stand up, and it was a chubby kid. Chubby kid stands up, and Randy builds the guy up. He says, hey, I want all of you guys to give a hand. This is somebody who had a positive attitude, who worked hard, who got the most out of practices, who did it with a smile on his face, this type of thing, and all the kids give him a hand. But if you've ever been that kid that's isolated from a group, and then one of your mentors, one of the coaches or leaders does that. You remember it forever. It's a very nice feeling. Well, that kid was Chris Pratt. So Chris Pratt and Randy reconnect eight years ago in Beverly Hills in Jay Glazer's gym where Randy is in there participating. Chris Pratt comes up and says, hey, by the way, I've actually worked with you before. I was this kid. All right, I, I'm just tying this together for you that Chris Pratt does have a level of knowledge as well as uh, experience. And it's probably why he was the one that ESPN went and found and wanted to speak to. Now, let me get down to this. As fans, can we be happy? As fans, can we be happy, guys? Right now, we're somehow irritated that Israel Adesanya and Cannoneer went 25 minutes. 
it was advertised to us that this is scheduled for up to 25 minutes. We knew that going in. When the judges got brought in and the judges got announced, we knew the judges were there in case we go to 25 minutes. There was no surprise. When Mike Tyson used to knock people out in the first round, he did it four times in a row, and Don King and DirecTV together had to come out in national press releases to say, if Mike does not get out of the first round in this next one, we'll give you half of your money back. People quit buying his fights. And you understand that with boxing, right? Boxing's just main event heavy. So you got the pizzas, you got the party, you decorate the house, the friends are pulling in the driveway, boom, you have less than three minutes of entertainment, it turns into a problem. But I'm juxtaposing these two. You're upset that you went 25 minutes, but you were upset when it was a stoppage in under three minutes. We say, as a community, we want to see guys stand and bang. We want to see them stand and bang. Like, that phrase has been around since the Ultimate Fighting Championship has been around. But then the biggest star in the sport, the one that drew more money than anybody, is George St. Pierre, who did anything but stand and bang. Another anomaly that drew and sold more than anybody else is a guy named Brock Lesnar. I get there's other reasons to Brock, but he did anything but stand and bang. So it's just very tough to be happy, isn't it? And as much as we didn't like what we just saw, you guys have the same temperament as I do. And we cannot wait for Alex Pierre versus Izzy Adesanya, not to mention because of the fact that we know we're going to see nothing but punches and kicks. We're going to see no takedowns whatsoever. But that happens to be what we just saw with Adesanya and Cannonier and weren't happy about it. I mean, do you get my point? There's no way to be happy. The fight either gets stopped and it was too early. They should give me some of my money back. The fight was too long, even though it's what was advertised and it's a two-man sport and it sure was action-packed, but I wanted to see somebody fall down. We just can't be happy. It's one of those really tough things. I don't care about the announcers. Okay, watch it on mute sometimes. I don't want to watch it on mute. Okay, then start listening to the announcers. Like We can never ask the audience, what do you want? The only thing that the audience can be asked to participate in is what matches do you want to see? Beyond that, the people in charge must know the audience doesn't know what they want. I read a book, it's called The Paradox of Choice. One of the worst things that you can do in business is offer too many options. You are the expert, you are the leader, you are supposed to know. You are supposed to know what goes on that burger to make it taste good. And I just think that it's really apparent. I don't think that Chris Pratt owed an apology. I think our community should have said, hey, Chris Pratt, thank you. We know you didn't have to do that. We know you weren't paid to be there. And you said something that a lot of us wanted to be said. He was a kind enough guy to come out and apologize. But Adesanya appears to be a nice enough guy to understand the things that I just said. Just roll with it. We move on to the next one. But what is it that we want? I mean, what is it truly that will make us happy within the sport? I don't think we know, guys. I think since 1993, we're searching for that. And I think it's one of the positive elements that keeps us coming back and keeps us watching, keeps this industry thriving, and keeps debate and keeps conversation back and forth. We don't know what we want. A big part of it is we want the right of freedom to complain. That's what we want. That makes us happy. When you're a fan, you got two energies, positive and negative. You can cheer and you can boo. And you just might be surprised. Between those two emotions, you just might be surprised which one brings you more pleasure. So 
The other middleweight fight that had the spotlight last weekend was Strickland versus Pierre. And I've seen a lot of you guys talking about Strickland over the past few days, and I gotta tell you, I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying. Should we give Sean Strickland a pass? Now, you know I've given him one, right? You know what a believer I am in Sean Strickland. I feel terrible for him, I really do. It's hard to come out and break down that fight, but picture me. Let, let me just speak to myself. It's hard to break down that fight. Sean did not do the one thing I needed him to do to make my prediction true that Sean Strickland can deal with this guy, including in the striking. Sean Strickland can go out and kickbox with this guy. Sean Strickland can beat this guy. Sean Strickland will become the number one contender. For those things to be true, I only need one thing. I need the threat of a takedown. I need for Sean to not come out and make it clear we have an unwritten agreement. And the agreement is we're going to stand here and we're going to trade punches and kicks. I need the threat of a takedown. I can't give Sean too hard of a time in fairness because the fight was so short. I can't come to you and tell you he didn't do that. He didn't believe in it. Stubborn Sean. Luke Rockall came in waiting on it. Stupid Sean. I can't do that because we don't know what was to come. Right, guys, we're only looking at a couple of minute fight here. Sean's going forward. Sean hadn't quite got down to cutting him off yet. The elevation changed. I mean, some of these things still could have been in the plans and it got cut short, but Piero was not completely comfortable. You could see the moment when Piero realized, wait a minute, we're, we're doing this. Oh, we're, we're doing my thing. You could see that. And the fight only had a couple of more moments after that. So my question is, can you guys come along board with me? Can we give Sean a pass. I mean, Sean was trying to do what the audience really wanted to see. The audience really wanted to see this fight, but if we knew that Sean was just going to go out, tackle him, and put him in a realm that he had never been in, all of a sudden they lose interest a little bit. They wanted Sean to stand and train. That's you guys. You were the audience in the day that I referred. That's what you wanted. He went out and gave you what you wanted. Is it really fair that we kick him now? I mean, there's a lot of things that we want to see for Sean. If anybody stole the week, it was Sean Strickland. If anybody had Israel Adesanya's attention and the attention of everybody, it was Sean Strickland. He did a great job. He entertained us all. And I'm not fully convinced that it was stupid and or stubborn Sean. I think there's a part of us like, well, it was quick. It was fast, Sean. He hadn't got to it yet. But he was having a hard time finding him. He was looking for him. Not for nothing. Sean was also finding some comfort. Those punches, Sean's doing what he always does. He's got good eyes. He was staying out of the range. Some of the kick has touched him a little bit, but Sean was able to touch him right back. I mean, not for nothing. I don't know that we know enough. I don't know that we saw enough to fully act as though Sean went out there and, and said to hell with a game plan that we wanted him to have. Luke Rockholt being very vocal lately, and it looks as though Rockholt has Paulo Costa. Am I wrong on that, guys? Is that signed? Is that done? Because that part I haven't seen. I have to stick with it looks like. It appears that. And Luke and Paulo Costa. But Luke, of course, gets asked a lot of questions. Former champion of the world. He weighed in all over this division. From Adesanya right on down the card. It came to Sean. He's been giving Sean a pretty hard time. Just to remind you guys, before you think Luke's kicking a guy while he's down, they do have a history. Those two were signed and supposed to fight. The night the BMF belt was contested, no, that's not true. Different fight at Madison Square Garden. Kamar Uzma versus Colby Covington, part two. The night that was contested, Luke Rockholt was supposed to take on Sean Strickland. 
So Luke's always going to have his eye on Sean. And that fight still works. And Sean's not really in the mood to start calling anybody out. He's going to be a little bit tempered for the week and maybe even two. But when Luke's out there and he's speaking up about it, I mean, in all fairness, he calls him stupid Sean. I'm not positive we can stick him with that moniker. It was short, Sean. It was a limited period of time. Yes, hindsight's 2020. Yes, had he faked those takedowns or even gone out and attempted and got one. I get that we're having a different conversation. But before we can fully label and fully dismiss that performance of Sean Strickland, first off, he did what you hoped he would do. We got our answer to the question. How good is a world kickboxing champion? What exactly does that mean? We respect the Olympic Games. We respect Abu Dhabi within this sport. How much respect should we show to a world kickboxing champion? We have that answer. What is that worth and what does it mean? Apparently a lot. If you can't get him out of that realm, he's going to be undefeated and fighting for the championship. That is the answer to our question. But we wouldn't have that answer had Sean not got out there and had the courage and given it to us. Piera is not a number one contender about to fight for the strap if it was not for Sean Strickland. You can't tell that story without Sean. Piera did not have the beautiful ranking. Sean was ranked number four. The other guys in the top ten were offered that fight before Sean. That was later revealed to us. They said no. They said no, he's not ranked high enough. Sean said, sign him up, I'll whip his ass anyway. I mean, you can't tell the story of Piero without Strickland. There has to be a level of appreciation there. That's all I'm trying to bring to you. You want to give him a hard time? Sure, you're a fan. You got that mean side. Go right on ahead. But when we're done with that, I ask that you consider joining me, which is give Sean Strickland a pass. It's a tough spot. It was a unique spot. It was a learning moment. And there wasn't quite enough time to have a full assessment of where that stubbornness was going to take us. Give Sean Strickland a pass. The fight that opened up the main card last weekend was, of course, Sugar Sean O'Malley. And I want to spend the next few minutes talking about what actually happened during the fight, as well as what has happened since then. Sugar Sean, Pedro Munoz. Guys, it hasn't ended. It hasn't ended, not for me. Because I think I'm still wondering, are we going to rematch this? Do I? Do we have a better idea? Do either athlete even want a different idea and want to separate and go in different directions? I haven't heard that. And Sean's very clever. Sean knows exactly how the media works. Sean would have already put his own messages out. He didn't do that. And I don't know that he wants to fight Pedro again. My final conclusion is he doesn't mind if he fights Pedro again. That's my final conclusion. But I do think that that's relevant. History says you go rematch him. Right? Real simple. We got a real simple fix. There's no contest. Go rematch him. I get that unless one of them has a problem with it. One of them has another idea or a better idea or their dates don't line up. I don't know how long it takes to for the, get the scratch on the cornea. I just know eyes are not something you play around with. But I don't know how long Pedro needs for that. And I bring that to you because that would be another thing that would break two guys apart. Even though you want to put them together and everybody's fine with it, one guy's out for a pay time, the other guy's got to go get a paycheck, right? It's one of those deals, but we're, I don't feel we're hearing that. And listen to what Sean said. Now, Sean is an entertainer, right? And you know when he's in entertainment mode. You know when he's working. You know it from the hair. You know it from the sunglasses. You know it from the tone in his voice. You know it by what he's wearing. You know when he's working and performing. He's just so good at working and performing that we accept it. 
It doesn't mean that we don't see through when he's not. And when he was at the post-fight press conference, he was not. It's a very vulnerable moment, win or lose. Fighting and doing that, having that experience, there's an honest side that it brings out. And Sean was sitting in front of the world when he was informed that he lost the first round. And he genuinely disagreed with that, was surprised by it, and he laid out his case. He laid out his case that every time Pedro kicked him or attempted to kick him, that Sean would check it, that he would block it. Do you guys know what that term means, a check? Checking is incredibly painful if you're the one that threw the kick. Tell you, I'll tell you guys a famous check, in case that, that term's new to you. Chris Weidman has the most famous check. He checked Anderson Silva's kick, and Anderson Silva's leg snapped in half. But that was an offensive move. I apologize. It was a defensive move by Weidman. But defensive, offensively, meaning it's going to hurt you. I have done this in practice. I've never had it happen to me a match where you throw a kick. The guy checks it. It is so painful. Him checking me is much more painful than had my kick landed on him. And kicks are very effective. Now, when Sean said this the first time, is in one ear, out the next with me. I had to reflect back on it and I had to go watch it again. Then I had to think about what he's saying because he might be teaching us something here. This might be a teachable moment by Sean O'Malley. And there's been so much talk lately about judging and about scoring. That's like a, a conversation that I've heard more in the last four or five months, possibly than at any other era in the sport. And Sean might be teaching us something here because a check is wildly painful. And he felt as though he was winning the fight. As a matter of fact, he thought he was hurting Pedro. As a matter of fact, he thought that Pedro's frustration with Sean constantly hurting him, even though defensively, helped to unravel Pedro's mind helped to lead in conjunction with the eye poke for the reason he said, I'm not going to continue. I'm not telling you that that's so. But I'm telling you when Sean says it, Sean believes it. This was not a hustle. And Sean made a really interesting point because see, I thought Pedro was beating him. I saw that first round. I, I didn't hear from the judges, the scorecards even come to you guys. I knew what it was. It was 10-9 Pedro. And Sean had a very different opinion of that. And he feels as though he's proved his point. Why would Pedro stop a fight that he was on his way to winning? Pedro felt. Pedro was frustrated. Now, that's the part that we're not going to know. I don't want to go down that road. I'm not giving somebody a hard time that dealt with an injury that was no fault of his own. But I, I do want to prove a larger point that checks hurt. Checks are real. Some of you may not have known what that was. You might not have known the term check when I just said it. I hope I have explained it well enough. But what do you do as the judges? Judging historically has never credited kicks for what they are. A kick that goes to the thigh, generally covered up by the fighter's shorts. You don't even see the red. You don't see the discolorization. You don't see the limping. You don't see it the same as if you hit a guy in the eye. A jab to the eye isn't going to hurt near as much, but it could cause some swelling. It could cause him to blink a little bit. You could get some blood out of the eye. You get a bloody nose going. Those things are, are very visible. So it's very obvious that you're going to give those credit. 
leg kicks have never been. Now, this is a step further than leg kicks. This is the check to the kick. If we can all agree that kicks have never quite been scored and shown the respect for the damage that they do, because it's not quite as obvious, then certainly Sean's point that the defense to that technique is also not being seen, scored, and rewarded. Sean really thinks he was beating Pedro, but Sean, moreover, thinks that Pedro thinks Sean was beating him. That's an interesting concept. And I will tell you guys, I don't know if these guys are going to get back together. I wasn't only hyped for it the first time. But these guys don't appear to have any other suggestion. And while they're not calling each other, they're not demanding a rematch, they appear to be sitting here waiting for somebody else to decide that. And it does seem that we have some discrepancy. We have some real discrepancy on what was happening. And if Sean is right, that Pedro thought Pedro was losing, right? This is going to change things. It's going to make him want to go out there and duplicate. It's going to make him want to get in there again. I didn't overly predict for you this was going to be a rematch. And I don't know in my own temperament that I wanted to see it again. Well, I just got to see that one again. We just got, we got to get that one right or else we just can't move on. Yesterday. But today, particularly hearing Sean's depiction, hearing his argument, reflecting back myself, and said, wait a minute, Sean's got a good point. Though it wasn't Sean's idea... Though Sean is not the one that engaged, it's different. You know when a guy breaks his hand in a fight? Guy throws a punch. Volkanovsky, I was told, over the weekend broke his hand. Guy breaks his hand, on a but he broke it right on your eye, and you got swelling. You had no technique. You had nothing defensive. Now, it turns out you hurt him. Turns out you really damaged me. But you can see where the judges are going to give me the credit. It was my idea. I landed, and I landed perfectly right on your face, regardless of the reaction. A check is totally different. you got to look for it. you got to be smart got to understand the sport. Did Sean teach us something here? Are check kicks something that we, the community, moving forward, need to understand and reward a little bit better? Guys, the folks at BioOptimizers have done it again. They just released their new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough, the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. Do you suffer from poor sleep? How about low energy? You ever get high stress? Magnesium deficiencies might be the root of your issues. Magnesium Breakthrough's new formula is now even more potent and effective for reducing stress, improving sleep, and boosting energy levels. Every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough contains seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium, plus cofactors like B6 and manganese that will help you with absorption of magnesium resulting in longer and deeper sleep, reduced stress levels, and a more calm self, and an abundance of all-day energy to win at life. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you will be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer, for my listeners only, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL during checkout. That's going to save you 10% and get free shipping. Again, that special link. 
is magbreakthrough.com slash chael and use the promo code chael at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. Sean O'Malley called out Henry Cejudo. He said, is September 10th too soon, fat ass? Or you all talk. Now, I got to tell you, like, anytime you have the opportunity to slip fat ass in there, there's just something about that. It's going to get a giggle from some people in the room. And Sean is well within his limits here. I mean, what is is Henry doing? We got to start with that. It, It was a question of what do we do with Henry? Do we put him at 145 with Volkanovsky? Do we put him at 135 with Aljo? What do we do with Henry? Do we make him do a contender's fight at 145? He's going to take on Max. I realize that that conversation has now changed. Do we do a contender's fight at 135? We have him take on Dillashaw. What do we do with Henry is now a different question from what is Henry doing? And I'm wondering too. I think he's very sincere that he wants to compete again. I know that he's in the room and that he's working. I know that he's even focusing on getting his own training and not just being Coach Henry. I know that he's back in the USADA pool. I know that he wants a mega fight. Does that have to be a championship fight? I mean, what is he doing? Is he, is he trying to get championship fights? Is he trying to get fights at 135 specifically? Because there was a piece and a part of Henry that wanted to prove to the world and establish himself to convince Dana that I'm a 145-pounder. I'm big enough, put me at 145. So he was looking for contenders or interrupting the interviews of contenders at 45. Maybe we could make that guess that that is what he is doing. But he did it. Over the weekend, he interrupted the interview of Sugar Sean O'Malley. And O'Malley is now calling him out on it. September 10th, fat ass, yes or no? And it does put Henry in an interesting spot. Now, Henry is a clever enough guy. He may be able to turn that fight down and save face. Come out with something clever and catchy that does not put him in there September 10th with Sean O'Malley. But what is that what Henry wants? Maybe Henry wants to fight him. I mean, maybe he does. Maybe Henry's making his own decisions here. Maybe he's got 45 off the board. 35, it's going to be, what do I do? I want something big. I want something that people are paying attention to. He studies his own division. That division of peers very clearly going towards Sterling and Dillashaw. So Henry, instead of waiting and then hoping to get the attention of one of those two, maybe he's one to go in right now. I mean, guys, there's a lot of guesses here by me. Every single thing that I said is a guess. I have no clarity. What is he doing? As opposed to what do we do with him? That is the new position that we're in. Somebody's allowing Henry to get backstage in the first place. Those events, you don't just get backstage because you used to fight in the UFC or you used to be a champion. There's a reason he's getting back there and he's getting that access in the first place. And if the person that gave him that access doesn't mind what he's doing, he'll continue to give him that access so he can continue to drum up attention and some excitement. But what's he doing? What's he after? Sean seems like a big match to me. Henry wants to go out there. He wants to do a big match. Boom. People are going to watch that. There's a lot on that. The little back and forth that they had with the media. That'll be in the B-roll. We'll all be talking about that. The fact that Sean O'Malley has now called him out. He's holding his feet to the fire. It's Henry's idea in the first place. Henry's the one that essentially challenged O'Malley. I mean, all of this makes sense. I'm on board for all of it. 
But is that what he's doing? Is that what we're seeing? Was Henry trying to pick himself a fight with Sean O'Malley? Any other fighter had done exactly what Henry did and got O'Malley to say yes, they would be fighting. It would have been very real. It would have been very sincere. Is that what Henry's up to? Do we know? Guys, is there a way to know? All you can do is get... You might turn out to be perfectly right. Tell, give me your guess. Type it in there in the comment section. A little time goes by. Turns out you're right. You can say, I told you so. But you would just be doing that. You would be guessing. There's no inside info here, is there? For inside info for Henry, that would be me. I talk to him all the time. I work with him. I'm in the car. I'm visiting with him. And I tell him point blank. Henry, I can't figure out what's going on. Give me some insight. And it seemed like he had a pretty open... Pretty open to somebody else stepping in and fulfilling that requirement of big fight. I know he really liked 145. I think he's more needed now. I think he's closer to getting Volkanovski now than he ever has been. I don't think he does. I think he's been dead silent or he saw something within Volkanovski that he, hey, maybe not for a comeback fight. That would be stretching by me, but everybody's been silent on Volkanovski. Volkanovski spread that around. He spread it up to uh, all the way up to 155. I haven't heard anybody calling his name. The closest that we've gotten, the only name associated with Volkanovski since Volkanovski's shutout performance over Max has been Josh Emmett. I think Henry is more needed now than ever in that weight class. But it has to start with something, and we have started it, and we're doing something, but it's different. It's with Sugar Sean, and it's 135. Apparently now, it's a real simple question, fat ass. September 10th, Sean O'Malley, yes or no? Real quick, before I move on to heavyweights, I want to talk to you about tomorrow night's UFC main event. My official prediction, Fazaya versus RDA. Guys, I'm going RDA. I'm going RDA, and you want to know something? Fitzayev is in one tough position, which he's never spoke about and likely never will, which is he's taking on somebody he looks up to. Fitzayev is not going to be able to be that candid with you guys. He's not. He's going to have to deny that internally. It's a big deal. When you're an aspiring fighter and you're at home on the couch watching these guys, when you've got posters of old fights, oh, and by the way, your opponent has been hanging on your bedroom wall and you've been looking up to him for a period of time. Of course, I don't know that's the exact scent for Fitzayev, but if you go look at the age and you look at who's the veteran and who's been here, for sure, Fitzayev has looked up to RDA. Hard spot. It's a hard spot. Very seldomly can you overcome that. Now, when you have somebody like RDA, five rounds, no problem. And that's always a question. You go get into the five-round club, you're in a rare club, but how are you going to hold up? How prepared are you and do you know where to exert versus save your energy. Very rare. Not a lot of people you could turn to. Not a lot of people have ever been scheduled for five rounds, let alone gone out and done it. RDA has done it more times than I could count on one hand. He knows what he's doing. The same can't be said for Fitzayev. RDA will know where to use that energy. Very relevant, guys. I know when we see two guys fight, we just want to talk about who's who's better with the punches and kicks and the guillotines and the takedowns. I know we want to do that, but it's the intangibles that win these hard fights. Your toughness doesn't even come into it in the first round. Your toughness usually doesn't come into it in the first round and a half. But once you start to get into 20 minutes in, now it is about who's tougher than who. Who wants this more? Who's in better shape? Who prepared? Who can fight when one eye is shut? Who can fight when your body hurts and you're limping on your leg? 
This is where toughness comes in. I can't question Fitzayev's toughness, nor do I attempt to. I can just vouch for the toughness of RDA because he's been there. It's also a big question, how is this fight going to go? Guys that do well with RDA get on top of RDA. They mix it up. They mix in the striking with the takedowns. They spend some time on top. They get a little bit out of him. They frustrate him just a little bit. I don't know that Fitzayev has the takedown skills to go get RDA down. And even if he does get him down, not to rinse and repeat and do that and make that the technique and position of the fight for 25 minutes. That he does not have. So he's going to have to trade with him. Now, Fitzayev, just to let you in on his training, full stand-up right now. He is literally in Thailand preparing for this fight. I support that. Because I don't think RDA is going to come out and try to take him down either. Not to mention, even if RDA can, RDA's wrestling prowess is not enough to the fact that he can rinse and repeat and do it all 25 minutes. These guys are going to have to go fight. They're going to have to stand out there and trade and bang. And hard and conditioning and toughness is going to come into it. I'm favoring RDA. I realize what a hard match this is. I am fully aware that Fitzayev could beat RDA. But I think that the other side is fully aware that RDA can get that win too. And I'm coming from the perspective of if so, how's he going to do it? Well, those later rounds are relevant. Where you're going to push a guy, when you're going to hold him up against the fence, when you know what the judges are looking for. RDA is one of those guys who has weaponized pace. Over the course of his career, he's fought other guys that could weaponize pace. Kamar Usman comes to mind. Colby Covington comes to mind. Khabib Nurmagomedov comes to mind. So sometimes your eyes will play tricks on you. You'll think, oh, RDA got tired. RDA wasn't in good enough shape to hold up. Well, not so fast. RDA is actually one of the top guys in all of our sport for pushing pace and making that a weapon, making that part of the story, part of the conversation. He's just also ran into some uh, guys with that. That's what they did too. So if your eyes play tricks on you, RDA will push. You want to know the real RDA? Just go watch the Moicano fight. Moicano, plenty tough. Complete stud, 15 minutes back and forth. But after 15 minutes, there's 10 left, and those are what's called championship rounds, and that's what RDA is made for. That's what he's ready, and that's what he's prepared for. And RDA has been floating up and down. I mean, he's 70-pounder, he's a 55-pounder. I don't know what category to put him into. You would call Chael, what do you call RDA? You got to label him. I don't know if I'd have said lightweight or welterweight, but now I'm comfortable telling you lightweight. Fitzayev, this is a tall order. This is a huge fight. And this isn't the one that gets you to the title fight. And I think that RD believes that it is. He's okay to believe that. But this is the one that gets you to the one. If RDA does win this fight, if I'm right about that, if he gets on the microphone, if he calls out Charles Oliveira, which not for nothing, RDA versus Charles Oliveira, that's a very interesting match. But if he does that, I think it's going to fall on deaf ears. Just simply because I believe that Charles is tied up with Islam. But I do think if RDA comes out and calls the next best thing, Justin Gaethje, I don't give a damn, he's coming off a loss. That's still Justin Gaethje. Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier. I believe if he comes out and uses that bullet all the way down to Conor McGregor, the fight that got away, the fight we were promised that never happened, I think RDA is in a really good position right now. And I think he's very likely to get what he asks for as long as he doesn't ask for the championship. He's got to ask for the next best thing. A number one contenders match, I believe, is extremely realistic for either guy, RDA or Fitzaya.
So in a couple weeks, the heavyweight division will be on display at UFC London. And it has me thinking about the heavyweights and the future of the division. We're over here in the studio and we've got a discussion going on about John Jones. What's a bigger fight? Here's how this whole thing started. What is a bigger fight? John Jones versus Angano, or is it John Jones versus Stipe? Now, I didn't even pause and I said it's Jones versus Angano, but then I was confronted. People said, well, why? Oh, so it's, it's the greatest storyline in the history of the UFC. Not only, not only is Jones versus Ngano, this is my stance, not only is Jones versus Ngano a bigger fight than Jones versus Stipe, it is the biggest fight in the history of the organization because of the storylines. So then I got this pushed back on me. I said, all right, John Jones does not sell well. Stipe Ngano does not sell well. So you're putting two negatives together and you're trying to come out with a positive. Where else in sport or life has that been done? If I was to take a baseball team that couldn't sell out, but I went and found another baseball team that couldn't sell out, and I told you we're going to put them together, and that's going to be monster ticket sales. You're going to say, how did you come to that conclusion? Or if I take a really good actor and another really good actor, but their box offices are notoriously flat, but I'm going to put them in a picture, and I'm going to do it together, and that's going to be a blockbuster hit. How are you getting to that conclusion? Now, I'm not willing to back down. I'm standing by Jones and Gano, but answering the why is a little bit harder. One thing that a John Jones fight has not had in a meaningful amount of time is any kind of reasonable belief by the audience that Jones might lose. And I realize he's had some close ones, but those were a surprise. We did not know it ahead of time. We did not expect it ahead of time. One reason that Jones and Gustafson part two did so well is because Gus showed us he can beat him. And I only bring that to you. I feel like I'm, I'm stating the obvious and I'm repeating what's already been said, but that's one element that a great big scary Francis Ngannou brings to it. Now, I was pushed back on after Francis's last fight. Do you really think he's going to go out there and flatten John Jones? He's now advertised that he's having knee surgery. John Jones comes out with those straight oblique kicks. It's going to be a really bad day. Jones is going to drag him down to the canvas one time. Jones goes home world champion. I'm going, well, that could be what happens. But I'm not here to speak about the X's and O's. That's a different conversation. Just perception to the world. If Jones versus Ngano got announced today, I would expect when I go to DraftKings to look at the odds that Jones, for the first time in history, is an underdog. Am I wrong about that? Because if I'm wrong about that, then my entire premise is out. If Jones is expected, and that's how we'll base that, that's how we'll, how we'll judge it. We'll just go look at the line. If Jones is expected to win, then everything that I just proclaimed and the reasons that I proclaimed for this to be such a massive Night of business, they'll be right out the window. So now I'm, I'm kind of here to ask you guys. I'm kind of bringing you in on the conversation. What do you want to see more? Jones versus Stipe. Jones versus Ngano. What do you want to see more? And I realize, I realize there's a third one there, and I'm not trying to be rude <coughs> about Stipe versus Ngano. I'm just setting that aside because you've already seen it not once but twice. I'm very confident in telling you you will see it a third time. You just you go to a trilogy match. As long as one of them has the belt, they'll find their way to each other.
And there seems to be a delay. There seems to be a delay in Jones versus Stipe. And Michael Bisping wasn't breaking news a week ago. He was just spitballing ideas. But the idea was, don't make Stipe versus Jones. Keep Jones as long as you have to and just bring him in against Francis. That was, that was Bisping's booking. That was his matchmaking. But as time goes on, as time goes by, it is going to look as though Bisping softened a blow, foreshadowed, prepared all of us. That's how it's going to look. Because as each day goes by, yeah, why don't we just do that? We're in no rush to do Stipe versus Jones right now. So if we're not in a hurry to do it today or tomorrow or the next day, how about we just don't do it at all? How about we wait and see if Francis is going to come back and if he comes back, who we're going to put him in there with and let's keep our powder dry. Because one thing that happens if you're looking for opponents for Francis, if you put Stipe and Jones together, you didn't just create Francis's next opponent, you eliminated a top contender. And as more time goes by and the more I'm really forced to look at this, trying to guess and judge, do my little detective work, what's going to happen over there, what decisions are going to be made at the UFC, I do have to come back to what Michael Bisping said, which is that it might just be the wisest thing. Keep Jones dry. Keep him on the sidelines. Bring him in against Francis. When and if that fight can even happen. And what the delay is with Stipe and Jones does appear to be a little bit tactical. I mean, imagine a scenario, right? We know that we got this contract thing going on with Francis. Let's say that date comes and goes and Francis is now no longer in the conversation. Now do we jump? Now do we rush? Now are we in a hurry to get Jones and Stipe together? Or is it still in the same spot of, you know, something opens up, we'll give you a call? Interesting question. Jones versus Ngano for me, I believe would be the biggest fight in history. I believe it has the ultimate storyline. But I will concede back to you, right now, the greatest storyline in heavyweight history was Surreal Gone versus Francis Ngano, and you guys did not buy that. You did not want to see it. Surprised me. So can you take two negatives and get a positive? And if so, how? It's a question I was just confronted with. I just got asked this. I did my best to answer it. I'm staying with it, but I will admit, not all of my logic makes perfect sense. All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening and for making us the top podcast in all of MMA. I can't do it without you. Enjoy RDA versus Fitzsaia and all the other storylines in the sport of MMA. I'm going to be back to talk about them next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.